Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. Once we understand how the nervous system works, when our child suddenly switches, what we can think is vulnerable red pathway. This child is not feeling sturdy in their body. They're feeling extremely vulnerable and they need heaps of patience from us. And then we need to attend to what they, what, what their body needs. Living a healthy, balanced life is no small feat, especially when you're a mom. With meals to cook, laundry to load, work to do, and humans to raise, it can be easy to feel like we're in an on-again, off-again relationship with healthy living. But it doesn't have to feel this way. I believe living a healthy life has become way too complicated. What we need isn't a new plan or program telling us what to eat or how to live. We need simple, uncomplicated routines and information that's going to help us live our best, most beautiful life without rules and restrictions. Join me, Kristen Dovniak, holistic health coach, certified intuitive eating counselor, and mama of two for weekly conversations on what it means to live a healthy, balanced life, uncomplicate eating, and simplify in every area of mom life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Healthy Balanced Mama podcast. I'm Chris Dovniak, your host, and I am so incredibly thrilled about today's guest episode. I love learning from every single guest that comes across my microphone for this podcast, but every so often there is a guest that is so personally helpful to me, I just get giddy. I know that many of you have really enjoyed the varying topics we've had on the podcast over the past several years, but a lot of you want to learn more about parenting. And I know one of the toughest parts of parenting, at least for me, and I'm sure many of you will also feel the same, is dealing with our kiddos' behaviors, especially when our kids' behaviors might feel unexpected, they might be frustrating, we might feel like we've tried everything in the book and we're just reaching for another book and nothing is quite working. And that is why I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Dr. Mona Delahook, PhD. She is a licensed clinical psychologist with more than 30 years of experience caring for children and their families. She is a senior faculty member of the Perfectum Foundation and a member of the American Psychological Association. She's the author of Beyond Behaviors, Using Brain Science and Compassion to Understand and Solve Children's Behavioral Challenges, and is a frequent speaker, trainer, and consultant 
consultant to parents, organizations, schools, and public agencies. In today's episode, we talk about brain-body parenting. Based on Dr. Mona's new book, we talk about our nervous system and how learning about our nervous system is so essential to helping our kids learn to self-regulate, how important it is to model behavior for our kids, how we can co-regulate with our kids and help our kids come into a more peaceful place when it comes to their behavior. She talks about the three emotional pathways that we go through as humans, both adults and children, and how we can help our kids get into the green more. So get into that place of peace and calm and positivity more often than not. I know that we talk about this in the episode. The last couple of years have been so incredibly difficult for us as parents, and they've also been so incredibly difficult for our children. And many of us are dealing with kids who might be experiencing big emotions in ways that they might not have before. And we might feel like we're at a loss of how to deal with them. Or maybe it's not just the last couple of years. Maybe it's our children's whole lives. We feel like we've tried everything. I know that this episode is going to have something for every single parent to help you feel like a more calm and confident parent yourself, to help you learn how to manage your kiddos' behaviors in a way that feels natural and that it's focused on connection instead of reading just more books and more star charts, though I do think that you should read Dr. Mona's book because it is fantastic. Today's interview is going to be a great primer on brain body parenting. She gave so much incredible advice. I can't wait for you to listen in. So without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Mona Delahook. Welcome, Mona. I am so excited to have you on the Healthy Balance Mama podcast today. Oh, thanks, Chris. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I know that our conversation is going to be so great. I love talking parenting. I love your strategies for parenting. So I am really excited to chat all things behavior and our kiddos. But before we jump in, I love to do a fun little icebreaker. And it's my favorite thing to ask authors. What are you reading these days? Ah, okay. I am reading, um, well, (laughs) this is kind of, it's a great, it's a great question. My leisure reading is science reading. (laughs) So (laughs) the book I'm reading right now, um, and I'm reading it kind of over and over again is called, um, how emotions are made by Lisa Feldman Barrett. And it's about the science of emotions and how humans come to form emotions and what, what's the, uh, the etiology or what do they mean? Like what are emotions? So that's on my bedstand, but you know, I, I do, I do have some novels on my Kindle, but I have to say I'm kind of a science nerd. I love that. I'm a science nerd too. I love reading for pleasure, but also I also find it pleasurable to read for information, to learn and to grow. And so, I mean, one of the reasons I love having a podcast is I get to interview so many incredible authors and learn, you know, on a consistent basis. So it's just a a perk of, of what I do. So I I totally understand. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Kindred spirits. Yes. (laughs) So I would love to just dive right in and have you start by just sharing with my listeners a little bit about where your passion for children's behaviors and helping parents with them sort of came from. What inspired you to make this the center of your work as a psychologist? Yeah, yeah. Well, two things. Um, 
One is that I have always been interested in human behaviors. I mean, ever since I was a little kid, I was like looking at people going, huh, why are they doing that? Asking so many questions, curiosity. And once I found out that there's actually a profession where you can study human behaviors, I'm like, sign me up. So I kind of always have been interested in like, what makes us tick as humans? What goes on? So um, anyway, it, it was kind of arrogance, I think, really in after I got my PhD and I understood everything about humans, I thought then like eight years later, I became a mom. So I practiced and I was, you know, I, I didn't, I was uh, a professional before I became a mom. And I happened to have a kiddo who was premature and who struggled a lot in her body. And yet the, the emotional tools of psychology that I had didn't help me bridge the gap. I was like, what is happening here? And I didn't get a lot of help. And this was quite, you know, a while ago, she's an adult now, but this, I didn't get a lot of help from the pediatricians whom I love, but no one could really help me bridge this gap. So I decided to specialize in infant and toddler mental health. There is, believe it or not, there's a field called that. And it took about five years of postgraduate training. And I learned all about infant and toddler development. But most importantly, I learned about the importance of our whole nervous system, of the body's impact on our brain. And it opened up a whole new way of looking at parenting, but also in my practice, a whole new way of helping parents understand their children's challenging behaviors, which is my specialty. Mm. Oh my gosh. So cool. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I think that as parents, like the vast majority of my listeners, I mean, this is the Healthy Balanced Mama podcast. So the vast majority of them are moms, they are parents. And so I think that most of us can relate to this feeling of frustration or struggling with our kids' behaviors at some point in time. I shared with you before we officially started recording that we've got one kiddo right now who's kind of, you know, bringing us through it. And we're, I was like, I can't wait for this conversation <laughs> to read your yeah. book because, um, you know, I, I'll take all the advice I can get. And I think sometimes just behavior that either feels unmanageable or just unexpected, right? We know kids yes. are their own unique selves, but sometimes it's like, okay, I didn't expect this. So how do I deal with this? And I know that yes. something that you, you talk about is that we might reach for that technique or that strategy that we might have heard from a friend or read in a parenting book and get frustrated when they don't work. And we oftentimes only have this kind of toolbox of tools and we just keep trying the same things over and over again and they might not work for our unique kids. So your work is really centered around the fact that most parenting techniques address the behavior, but not the child. So I would love for you to kind of share the importance of personalizing our parenting and why, why you kind of focus on the, the children themselves when it comes to managing behaviors. Oh, yeah. Thank you. That's, you know, I think that's one of the main, um, this is one of the main areas where I think we can, we can help parents more. We meaning like even my field is that 
there are general general good parenting strategies, right? We we pretty much know that positive parenting is really important for children and attachment is important and respect is important. So there are these really wonderful generic principles. Um, and even sometimes we try uh, what sound like amazing scripts, like parenting scripts, like this is what you say when your child does this. But if you've ever had a script fall short, or if you've ever like, oh man, I'm trying everything in the freaking book and it's not working. My kid's still out of control. They're still thrashing around or they're, or they're shutting down. Um, it's, it's not because you're not doing it right because we, we have to be so gentle on ourselves, Chris, especially right now. You pro- I'm sure as you know, because you deal with health, overall health for mamas and, and daddies and our physical and mental health has never been this compromised really in modern history. And because of all the stresses of the pandemic, on top of the stresses humans faced before that. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're in that situation where you are, where you are trying things that may have worked before and should work, don't get down on yourself like you're necessarily doing something wrong, first of all. Um, and when we talk, when I talk about customizing or personalizing our parenting, this is what I what I I mean. We know that human beings have something called nervous systems. And basically, our nervous system is that brain and body connection. So we're never just a brain or a body. Our brain and body are connected. Mm-hmm. And one of that, one of the main routes that connects us is subconscious. We're not aware of it. It's our autonomic nervous system. It keeps our heart beating. It keeps our food digesting. It tells our body when to move, when to conserve. And it's all goes on underneath the hood. It all goes on like outside of our awareness. And our children have nervous systems too. Now, our so I call that a platform. Let's just think of it as our, the platform that launches all human emotions and behaviors is our brain and body. The state of our platform, and when, when I say the state of, I mean how calm we are, how agitated we are, how checked in or checked out we are. And this is not in our mind, it's in our body. The state mm-hmm. of our nervous system launches our children's behaviors. So we can't really manage the behavior until we know what state their nervous system is in. Mm-hmm. And that's the first step. Um, and in, you know, in, in the book, I talk about three main pathways of the, of our nervous system and, and how you can first of all determine which pathway you and your child are on. Because if we're in that agitated, we call, I call it the red pathway, the fight or flight, the sympathetic nervous system, which urges the body to move. It urges the heart to be faster, the thoughts to race, the eyes to roam, the body wants to move. We may feel agitated. Our children may here be what in what we would describe as a tantrum or kicking or screaming or, you know, that is a state. That's a physiological state. That's a body state. And now we know um, that we can determine how to help our child's body calm down before we start to lecture them or talk to them and, mm-hmm. and get the deal going, you know, get the, the bath done or the hair washed or the food until we can't really do that until they're calm enough in their physical bodies. Mm-hmm. 
That's so fascinating to me. It, it makes so much sense too. I, I understand that the brain and the body are connected, but I don't think we think of it like that, or at least I don't, or I haven't when it comes to my kids and it comes to their behaviors. And I think sometimes our kids have, or I, I am speaking for myself here, but you know, sometimes my kids have reactions, like I said, that are sort of unexpected. You're like, whoa, why are you, why are you yes. acting this way to this seemingly small thing that I asked you to do? You just said yeah. hair washing. And that was like a trigger for me. Okay. That is a, that is an event in our house. And oh, I've got yeah. two girls, they both have long hair and it's a, it's a thing. And so sometimes, you know, and sometimes it's not that big a deal, but sometimes it is. And it's really hard to get them down from that point. And so I'm curious, I would love for you to kind of dig a little bit deeper into these three pathways. I'm kind of curious. So I've, I've, you know, I've read some of this in your, in your new book, but is it that our kids are naturally more inclined to one of the different pathways or is it that, you know, they can kind of, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, we all, I know you explained this too, that we all kind of move through each one of yes. those because we're all yes. dynamic beings. Right. But is it that they're sort of more bent towards one pathway or the other? Well, that's like the $64 million question. It's a great question. And actually, um, I don't think so. I think it's, it's, there's, there's always this aspect of what we come into the world with. So we have our gen, our genetic loading, we have our constitution, right? Which is more than just our genetics, but our prenatal history and, and, and a whole like array so complex of, of things that create who we are. Now, I think we are born with tendencies. So like I, I mentioned to you, one of my daughters was born with a tendency towards extra reactivity to uh, certain types of sounds, for example. Mm -hmm. Every single child, not just preemies, but every human has different reactivities to frequencies and, um, and volumes and pitches of sound, for example. This is the only way we know the world. So older research might have said, well, there are temperamental styles, there are overly sensitive humans and things like that. But I don't see it that way. I see it as how our nature is nurtured. Mm. And if I would have known about my child's individual differences, because I was like, as you said, we don't really think about these things. We don't really think about what pathway our child is in. We tend to think that once our child can walk and talk and reason with us sometimes, that they're, they're in their head. We're cool. We can, we can talk our way, way out of this. Even if they're three or four, it's very tempting to think that they are like us. Their emotional development is kind of like us because it seems like they are. But what I, what I explain that in the book is if you're struggling with your child's sudden behaviors that come out of the blue and you're like, oh my gosh, what just blew you up like that? It's um, if we can really expect that in toddlerhood and we can expect it on and off through our lives that, that this expectation gap we have that children should be able to have self-regulation of their emotions and behaviors pretty much um, by the time they can walk and talk is what we call the expectation gap because it's a very long process. It's a very long process that continues actually through early adulthood. 
So, but let me just describe these pathways to you really quick. Um, and there, it's a it's a gross oversimplification, but the neuroscientists that I that I study with are are fine with it because it works. It works as a model for our parenting, and so. I talk about them in colors. We don't need to know the scientific words for them, but the green pathway is basically where we're calm, where our bodies are calm. And these are for human pathways, not just for our kids, but for ourselves. We are, um, we are feeling um, not too revved up, not too slowed down. We are feeling alert, optimistic, able to wake up and do our job, you know, just kind of that calm state where we can learn for our kids you can see it on their body. They're, they're, they're relaxed in their posture. Their face might be neutral, but may have smiles. Their eyes kind of crinkle up and they're, they can be, they can be positive and joyful. They can play, or they can just be studying and quiet or reading. You know, it's kind of like that wonderful state (laughs) for parents (laughs) where kids are not like totally out there up and, you know, running around the house, like a whirling dervish or, asleep or checked out. So it's this nice green pathway that is called our social engagement system. It's where humans cooperate. It's where they learn the best. And this is also where we can ask our children to stretch and learn new things. Now, as you said, as we all know, we are not robots and life presents challenges at every minute of the day. So we have this red pathway that goes on outside of our awareness. If our bodies detect some sort of threat. Mm. So again, it's not in our conscious awareness. It could be, but for our children, oftentimes it could be outside of their awareness that all of a sudden you will see the main feature you'll see is your child is moving. They may be moving their mouth. They may be yelling or screaming. They may be wanting to run away from you. Um, They may be agitated. They may be crying, red faced, sweaty nose, um, saying things that, that hurt our feelings as parents, you know, and you often, a feature of this is that when they are in their red pathway, that it happens really quick. It seems like a flip, a switch gets flipped really quick. So, um, you may have an experience of, of your toddler, like even doing something fun, like they're in the bathtub playing with their tubby toys. And all of a sudden they are like, ah, you know, throwing things and wanting to get out. And you're like, whoa, slow the boat. What's happening here? But something happened in their body's perception. And that could be, it's invisible to us, but it can be an array of things. It could be a, a sensation. It could be something like, um, like say they have a diaper rash or some, and the kind of soap you used all of a sudden is causing pain that they're not really connecting to, but their body is aware of. Mm. So they're the red pathway, or let's say um, they have a a thought that pretty soon they have to go to bed. And that thought it's like in their consciousness, but not really, because if they have separation anxiety, that means, Oh no, I have to say goodbye soon because my bath is now and bed is next. Mm. So it it's this, it's this shifting of states that drives parents nuts in toddlerhood because a we are exhausted and it takes a lot of patience and it's really hard to believe that a child's not doing this on purpose, that they're Mm -hmm. not just being fussy. And I speak from experience, you know, that 
it's so easy to, again, fall into that expectation gap, like, oh my gosh, you know, you've done this a thousand times. Why can't you do it now? It's a normal parental feeling. But once we understand how the nervous system works, when our child suddenly switches, what we can think is vulnerable red pathway. This child is not feeling sturdy in their body. They're feeling extremely vulnerable and they need heaps of patience from us. And then we need to attend to what they, what, what their body needs. Sometimes it's sleep. Sometimes they are just done. If you have a three or four year old or toddler or two year old, you know, this towards the end of the day, some little thing starts to really bother them. And earlier on in the day, it was fine because their thresholds are gone. Their body budget is shot and we need to be super patient and transition to, to bed or whatever that need is. If they're thirsty, hungry, you know, if they're emotionally scared, we go to that need and that's how we customize our parenting. So that's the red pathway. And then finally, the blue is where a child is actually not using a lot of movement, they're decreasing their movement. So this we find um, really, I think, in more extreme situations where the nervous system is under trauma or extended stress, where children check out, they don't want to play, they may appear like to be sad or depressed, like they're not moving, they're, they're kind of looking through you rather than at you. Yeah. And um, I want to emphasize that these states, again, we all can check out momentarily or for a few minutes or an hour, right? I'm talking about when we want to be concerned is if your child is in this blue disconnected state for weeks or months, Mm -hmm. that's when we want to really say, hmm, talk to her pediatrician about it, seek out some advice from a child specialist. But most, most of you will have children who cycle through these throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And we can expect them because we're humans. We, 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 our nervous system takes care of us. And the way our culture is set up is that we're so judgmental of behaviors and we don't have to be afraid of them. As parents, we feel judged so much of the time, like in public, we're always feeling judged as parents. And we're also really hard on ourselves. So I think once we take a step back, and I know for me, it really helped. It helped me not personalize my daughter's uh, behaviors once I understood that she did have these swings that were her body compelling her to move in certain ways. And it wasn't about me or our relationship. It was about her struggling to feel better. Mm. Yeah, I really love that notion of expecting that we are going to cycle through this, these, these different pathways, expecting that our kids are going to cycle through these and really normalizing that. Because I think like, like you just said it, I, it almost feels like a deep breath for me to go, okay, well, it's, it's normal. We are humans. We do like I cycle through emotions. My kids are going to cycle through emotions. It can kind of take away some of that guilt for, okay, our kids are acting out when we're in the grocery store or at the playground, they're upset because they don't want to leave or something like that. Like These are normal behaviors that they're going to go through. But then as parents, we can kind of help them through that. So I would love to kind of dive into maybe some strategies for what can we do? I think any of the parents who are listening who have a child who, you know, goes into those, that red zone and feels like that 
switch flipped, like one of my children very much <laughs> that it feels like that switch flips. And I, I can't oftentimes can't pinpoint immediately. Uh, it takes me a while and sometimes not at all to figure yeah. out, okay, why did this happen? So what can we yeah. do in those situations? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes we will not know. Sometimes it's impossible, right? And they won't be able to tell us and it'll be a mystery. <laughs> but I think the soothing part, like you just said, is expecting those things. Mm -hmm. And here's the deal. Self-regulation, which basically means that ability to control my emotions and behaviors. And if you have more than one child, you'll probably notice differences in their abilities for self-regulation. That is science's mystery still. Researchers are trying to figure out what component parts are, you know, make a child relatively more self-regulated than another. We don't know. There are differences, but we don't have to worry about that. But what we, what we can do, the technique and the tools that we can use is this formula. We know for sure that what something called co-regulation, sharing our own calm state with our child's reactive emotional state is the process that nurtures and builds self-regulation. So the tough part is that when our children are tricky and activated, like my daughter was, I kind of pulled away from her sometimes Mm -hmm. because it was, I didn't know what to expect. And so our more volatile kiddos are actually the ones who are least self-regulated and parents have the fewest tools to manage because we will get things like from the preschool saying, oh, Johnny threw a toy again and it checked someone in the head and we need to talk. And your heart goes like, oh no, what's wrong with my child, right? Instead of, ah, okay, that was a stress response. Let's look at that. His self-regulation is still under development. So what can we do to help him be more regulated? Mm. But so I think one, one before we think about those exact tools is number one, com- self-compassion for, our, for ourselves and understanding that our, our culture, your in-laws, your pediatrician, your preschool teacher, if your child is highly reactive and not well self-regulated, you might go on, on the internet and read scary things. You might think, oh no, did they inherit, you know, great aunt Edna's volatile personality, (laughs) you know, our minds go to all these, like, what's going on here? But all you really have to do is say, huh, my child is still on the road to Mm self-regulation. So the first thing we want to do is be gentle on ourselves and realize that we are the most important tool, us and the caregivers of the child. So the child's, uh, you know, daycare or preschool staff, you, your partner, your, your nanny, whoever is with your child during the day. If you have a child who is cycling into the red more than not, if they're not living in the green and dipping in the red. And remember, we have to expect that toddlers, kids from birth to five, well, all infants are going to be just red and green. They're hundred percent dependent on us to help them stay calm and green. But toddlers, as they age, they're still going to need our emotional support. 
And once we shift the lens from thinking about, I have to discipline the child and set limits to teach them how to self-regulate. Okay. That's the older paradigm. The newer paradigm is I have to use my relationship to co-regulate, to build their muscles of self-regulation. So how do we do this? Um, the best way to do this, really, the most developmental way in, the, in what the research tells us without, uh, without much of a doubt is that playful interactions build self-regulation. So uh, if you're a parent, I'm saying this, you're like, oh, no, just add one more thing. I can't add one more thing. You don't, it doesn't have, it could be microseconds. It can be five minutes a day. Um, it can be during bath time, during dinner time, during lunch time, when a child starts to get a little bit, ah, you know, you're, they're heading towards red. And then you have a playful interaction where you share your green with them. Mm. Oh my goodness, that plate, that was the wrong plate. You thought you were going to get the Mickey Mouse plate and you got the brown plate. Ah, ah where's that Mickey Mouse plate? <laughs> and all of a sudden the child might be like, yeah, Mickey Mouse. And they're talking to you. So we're zapping that we're, we're normalizing what we think might be bothering them. So that was one example, but, you know, let's just say, use the bath example. All of a sudden it comes time to rinse the water out of the hair and you see them start to accelerate into the red. We can use that information to mirror what's going on. So sometimes witnessing is very powerful. So we can go like, uh-oh, problem. I see this is going to be a problem. Oh, sweetie, sweetie. Mama's here. Daddy's here. Hey, would you like to hold the cup and pour it over your head? Or maybe Mr. Dinosaur can help us. I mean, there's no way I can tell you exactly what's going to work for your child. But the point is, we stay high. Yeah. We stay positive while they lose it. That's called co-regulation. And once we understand that a, a child that flips into the red isn't a disciplinary problem, but a regulatory person who needs support, who needs our nervous system to share our calmness in order for them to build calmness, I think it's the hardest part of parenting. It takes, this is why we have to have such great self-care. And I, 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 I love the, all of the podcasts you do on that. Like we are a tool. We legit matter because yeah. <laughs> we're not going to be able to stay and, and offer that co-regulation that little humans need without feeling somewhat okay ourselves. And that's the kind of support I like to give to parents in my, in my, in my blogs and in my books, just to say, there are the things you can do, but please Overall, be gentle on yourself because this isn't, isn't hard. This isn't easy. Parenting toddlers and parenting little kids and parenting children with challenging behaviors, you know, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. But they get better. They get yes. better over time. And I've seen that for 30 years, I can say with, without any hesitation, that there's always hope. There's mm-hmm. always a way to help a child's brain predict that things are going to be smoother. And that's the joyful part. When you're in it, it feels like it's going to last forever, but it it won't. Mm, yeah. Actually, it's funny as you're saying that. I'm thinking of, I was definitely the child who 
definitely <sighs> reacted quickly. It was in the red often was the more volatile, re- oh. the child who just reacted. And as I've gotten older, I've learned how to self-regulate and I've learned how to make myself calm. And I'm like, wait a second, <laughs> think back to oh, other people do that. Isn't yes. it wow. It, yeah. It's, it's yeah. actually possible. And it is, it's encouraging. Yeah. It's encouraging to hear that. And it's, it was really encouraging for me just hearing you say, you know, it is normal that we have that our kids might be different because I do have one kiddo who is much more reactionary than my other kiddo who, even though, well, I won't say which one is which just in case they listen to this when they're older, but uh, they're, they're different ages. And so, you know, I, at the same age, I sort of expect them to have similar behaviors. And interestingly enough, they, they don't have similar behaviors to the other one. And so that they're just a little bit different in that way. And so needing to, you know, find ways that work for them in, you know, at their different ages, their different developmental levels, their different levels of self-regulation. It's, it's really interesting and encouraging to go, okay, it's, it's not something that I've like, you know, I've done this wrong with this one and this right with the other one. It's just about learning what works for each one of them. Hey friend, interrupting this episode with a quick message from our newest partner. I know that as a mom, it can be easy to throw on the same pair of leggings and t-shirt every day and call it a day. And I have nothing against a good pair of leggings and a solid t-shirt. But I know I feel better when I feel a little bit more put together. And something I've learned is that one of the simplest ways to upgrade an outfit and make you feel good as a mom, even in the simplest of outfits, is some great jewelry. Jewelry always fits, and it always makes an outfit that much more special. But I know it can feel like an expensive upgrade, which is why I love companies like Ana Luisa, who have beautiful, high-end jewelry at mom-friendly prices starting at only $39, with a mission to help the planet along the way. Everything from the eco-friendly, carbon-neutral packaging to the jewelry itself is beautiful and feels luxurious when I go to put on my jewelry in the morning. I recently chose a few pieces to uplevel my daily outfits, and let me tell you, I am obsessed. You might have seen me on Instagram wearing my adorable gold mama necklace, which I wear on the smallest setting, so it's almost a choker, usually layered with another gold necklace, as well as the adorable gold huggy earrings, which are tiny hoops that fit closely to my ear so I don't have to worry about them falling into my food when I'm cooking. I honestly wish I had a pair of them when my kids were really little and loved to grab at my dangly earrings, and I swear I didn't wear earrings for years. And finally, I have loved the trend of wearing several rings on different fingers for so long now, but I didn't have any rings and I didn't want to invest in crazy expensive rings, which is why I love Ana Luisa's price points and their beautiful dainty gold Sierra and Stephanie rings are perfect. And they're giving Healthy Balanced Mama podcast listeners an exclusive 20% off discount so you can go shopping too. Go to shop.analuisa.com slash balancemama to enjoy 20% off their entire site. That is shop.ana a-L-U-I-S-A dot com slash balance mama to enjoy 24% off the entire Ana Luisa website today. I will put links in the show notes so you can shop really easily. You guys, this sale is too good to be true. 20% off is an incredible sale on top of their already awesome prices and it won't last long. So head to shop.ana-luisa dot com slash balance mama. Now back to the show. That's right. And know you're doing the best job you can, Mm -hmm. but that's 
each nervous system is different. And that's why we have to think about customizing to each child because it's development doesn't happen by age. It happens by stage and by Mm -hmm. each person's personal timeline. Um, And so, yeah, that's a, that's, that's really cool that, you know, you have, you experienced in your body what it was like to have high reactions and look at you now. I mean, look at all these parents you're helping. Um, it's beautiful. It's, it's, you know, the stakes are so high as parents and it, and it is, again, I've seen if you're, if your child has had more red zone, red zone, red pathway behaviors in the last year or two, that also, I think we have to we have to figure in the cost of the pandemic to parents yeah. and children. So, you know, you're not alone and hopefully, hopefully things are getting better. Yes. That, so. <laughs> I noticed, I think just with a lot of changes with my kids, I have one kiddo who just seems to naturally deal better with shifting, yeah. uh, you know, changes and, you know, in school, out of school, seeing friends, not seeing friends, all of that, you know, is, is can be really difficult. And I imagine, you know, I didn't have to go through that as a child. I can imagine how difficult that is. It's difficult for me as an adult going, trying to manage work and home and kids and, you know, trying to take care of my kids while I'm also trying to take care of the other things. And, oh yeah, there's also a global pandemic happening. <laughs> so oh my gosh. Kids, yeah, yes. I can only imagine how hard it is and that it makes it, you know, it might make it harder for them to self regulate and because they've never experienced this before, just like we haven't as parents. So needing to, um, I love that you really emphasize self-care for parents and how, because I know that that's that's another area that I have noticed very much in myself, the better I take care of myself, even something as simple as making sure I wake up a little bit before the kids. So I have my time to sip my tea and journal in the morning. It's my favorite thing to do first thing in the morning before the kids get up excited and jump all over me. And we've got to, you know, get through the school routine and all of the things that may or may not go well, depending on the day. I know that I, I definitely feel like it's easier, even if one of my kiddos has some sort of a reaction if I've already taken care of myself. And so I'm, I'm really glad that you bring that in. You encourage parents in that way too. Yeah. There's yeah. It's, it's so interesting how like common it's, it sounds like common sense on one hand, on the other hand, <laughs> I've talked to a lot of parents the past year that when I, that roll their eyes, when I say self-care, because it also sounds kind of ridiculous, especially parents who are working during the pandemic two jobs two full-time jobs, mothering and another job or, or parenting and fathering. So, but it does, it's like uh, human beings, we share the state of our nervous systems. We have this thing called mirror neurons. We have emotional contagion. There are, there are things that happen that when we're in the room with another human that we transmit our, our um, state Mm. And I don't emphasize this as much, even though there's science, I don't emphasize it because I think sometimes we do not need more pressure as parents. <laughs> we definitely don't. And so I don't want parents to think, oh no, you know, my anxiety or depression is going to hit my kid like a ton of bricks. That's, that's not, not what it means. What it, for me, what it means is we matter. Mm. Our well being matters. And so I think there's a biological drive to take care of our kids over ourselves. And 
I know that that may be a projection (laughs) of what I experienced as a mom, but I felt like the energy, my major energy went towards taking care of them, my work, and then myself at the end. And I think for some, for some, especially moms, because these are our cellular beings. I mean, going through pregnancy and birth is like, it's so it's so profound. We can barely like put our minds around it. (laughs) And so I think we just have to be reminded that we do matter and that patience and that extra flexibility, the resilience, the helping a child manage a tough emotion. We really can't do that. We really can't pour from an empty cup day after day. We certainly can for a while and we do, but now we're going on a couple years of stress. So the more you fill up your own cup, the more your child will benefit. It sounds counterintuitive, I know, but it's kind of cool that we, that we matter, <laughs> that our health matters. And science is also showing us, us that in your, in your forties and fifties and sixties, when chronic illnesses start to crop up more that those people who have taken the time for self-care have less inflammation in their body. Right. Mm -hmm. And they have general uh, cellular aging that is lower than um, some people who run on a chronic red zone deficit Mm -hmm. Um, moms and, and uh, well, there's, well, there was a study on moms specifically who had uh, children with extra needs, special needs, and they were found that their cellular aging was actually uh, ahead of their chronological age. Oh, wow. So our cells, our telomeres can actually age beyond our chronological age. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing about that study, they did a follow-up. And those, the, the group of, of moms who did um, some modicum of self-care, I think it was 15 minutes of mindful meditation a day and one other piece, it may have been a movement, um, I forget, but their, their telomeres got longer mm-hmm. and their, their cellular age decreased. So that's mm-hmm. how cool self-care is. Yeah. When I read that study, I just like really went to town on, <laughs> on learning, on making time to do stuff I love. Like you love to journal and, you know, I love to just take walks and yeah. feel my feet on the ground for a few, you know, a few minutes at a time. All those kinds of things that ground us to ourselves actually helps our cells feel better in our bodies. Mm. It's crazy. It's so cool. And if you think about it that way too, the more we take care of ourselves, the more we're going to be able to be there for our kids better longer too, right? As they get older, right? It's not like these, I know that for so many of us, I hear from a lot of moms that it's just sort of getting through those early ages, right? We're going to get through those toddler years, which are so hard. And I know I've even said it myself. My youngest daughter is four now. Um, She loves to talk about turning five, even though her birthday is like, nine months away. Um, (laughs) she loves to talk about turning five, but you know, she's, she's four, almost five and she's, you know, she's, we're kind of getting beyond that toddler age. And in some ways things are a little bit easier because they can, you know, in some ways self-regulate a little bit better. They can, um, they can just understand a little bit better. And so we can communicate a little bit better. 
And so some of those early, you know, there's no diapers to change, things like that. In some ways, it's easier, but in some ways it also gets harder because there's, you know, just different challenges and different stages. And uh, I think yeah. that notion of just getting through those years, yeah. getting through those hard years, yeah. getting through those hard years. And then we end up at this place of almost like parenting burnout. It's like, okay, our kids are oh. school age now. And now we're like, wait a second, we still need to parent. We, we, need to do. <laughs> we made it through the hard phases, right? Oh, it's it so <laughs> And the, the basic survival of the first year or two, I mean, yeah. we're talking a sprint, the yeah. lack of sleep, <laughs> the, the visceral, like, can I even get up right now? I mean, the, the, the first year it is like buckle in, mm-hmm. I can't wait till this is over, you know? <laughs> yes. And then, and then there is a little bit, hopefully a little bit of a lull once children are sleeping better and stuff, mm-hmm. but you're right. It this parenting journey morphs. It morphs in amazing, amazing ways. Um, but I think the emotional skin in the game is always there. Yes. Even, even when you have adult children, as I do, um, they're, they're always your children and that emotional tie. So if we can nurture those relationships early on, that's the, the, um, kind of like the bonus, the reward is once your children get older, then you can also, you'll always be the parent, but you're also kind of friends too and mm-hmm. confidants. And it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing journey. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, one other question that I have, and, and I, I want to get your, um, just get, I guess, advice on is when we start getting beyond those those early years, those toddler years, those early elementary years where our kids are starting to get a little bit older. They're starting to be able to, depending on what stage they're in, self-regulate a little bit better. How can we help our children to just continue to manage those behaviors? Is it, or if we have kids who are a little bit older too, you know, our, our moms who might be listening who are like, but my kiddo's 12 and they're still struggling. And I know you said that it's not about age, it's about stage. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So how can we kind of help, you know, because obviously parenting a toddler is different than parenting a teenager. So I guess how can we help them as they grow? How can we help them to continue to manage their behaviors in a, in a positive way? A positive way. Yeah. That's, um, that's kind of the fun part to me that as they, as they grow in their developmental abilities and their abilities to, to do something that is so profound in human beings. And that is recognize and be aware of what's happening inside my body and then name it or have an ability to actually use a word or a phrase to identify what's going on. And mm-hmm. that as our children get, you know, get older to both age-wise and developmentally is kind of the, the fun part. Those, that is where we can start to a model for them when it happens to us. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, for example, if you um, burn, like burn the casserole right before everyone's coming over for dinner and, and you're all upset, it's like, oh no, look at this casserole's all burned. And you're going, okay, I'm going to model now. I'm going to model your heart. You might be in the red zone, but then you, you use your skills. Okay. What is, what are the skills? The skills are, oh, number one, awareness. Oh boy. Okay. My heart's beating fast guys. I'm 
freaking out a little bit, but now I'm thinking, okay, what are we going to do? Oh, hey, we have eggs and cheese. Can you help me whip up some eggs and cheese? And we'll make a really fun uh, meal. Like we'll have breakfast for dinner. Mm -hmm. And we model flexibility. We model that awareness of our state. And what I, what I think is really important is, is to say, we don't have to say necessarily I'm anxious right now, but it's so important to ground to our body. Something simple, like I can feel my heart beating fast Mm -hmm. is letting kids know it's modeling for kids that our physiology, our bodies are a signal to us Mm. of the fact that we need a little help. Sometimes our brains can give us help. Here's another example. Um, you get you get some bad news maybe from work or something like that. And when a human gets bad news, it's the best thing that we can that we can do is connect with another human who cares for us. And so say your your um your partner is there and, and your child witnesses you saying, you know, sweetie, I got this bad news at work. Can I put my head on your shoulder? You know, and, and they're like, oh yeah, let me hold you for a second. Life is hard sometimes. And that's what we want our kids to, when they have difficulties with self-regulation as they get older, what we want them to do is to develop a, a compassionate awareness that this, this, Ability to understand when we need help. Mm. Ability to to be able to say, instead of yelling and screaming or stomping up to their room and slamming the door really hard, where we want that 10-year-old or 13-year-old or or 18-year-old to move to eventually is, hey, mom, I am like really freaking out right now. Can I talk to you? Yeah. Can I, and that ability to say, A, I realize I'm freaking out, that says that that person is having some compassion for their body Mm. because our bodies take the hit. Our heart starts beating faster. Our palms get sweaty. Our minds start moving to worst case scenarios. Those are the things that make humans' bodies move and slam doors and yell and scream and say, hurtful things is this sense of threat. Mm. So in, in my, in my book, I, I kind of walk parents through how to, how to help children develop emotional literacy is what it's called. And as you can imagine, it's a developmental process. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens over years. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And it's just more, um, I guess, encouragement for us to work on ourselves as parents do. And, yes. and so because yeah. we are that model and yeah. I think it's both, yeah. you know, it's both encouragement to work on ourselves, but also encouragement that there is so much that we can do. We can model this and we can help them as they get older. We can help them right now, whether they're little or they're older, and we can continue to help them as they get older with that modeling, with having them understand, you know, how much they're bodies are a signal and their bodies and their yeah. brains are are connected. So, oh my gosh, I love we're there for them. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess I'll also say one of my, one of my favorite tools as well, as my children aged was just witnessing and presence, because sometimes it's really hard to witness 
our child um, struggling. And, and when one of my, one of my children was having those blue pathway, like kind of checked out, I knew, I knew they were suffering, but talking didn't really help. I just started hanging out in their room. I would bring some of my work or I'd bring a scrapbook and I just sat there with so much compassion in my heart because I knew they were suffering, but I didn't talk. And at first they're looking at me kind of going, why are you here? (laughs) And like, you know what? I missed you today. You're in school. I missed you. Can I just hang? Yeah. And the first couple of days is like, you are weird, mom. <laughs> but sure enough, you know, after a few days, you know, she sat closer and closer to me. And at the end of a week, it was like tears. Can I tell you about my friend group right now? Can I tell you about what's happening at school? Or can I put my head on your lap? And that's that power of just being present with our mm-hmm. older children too, because we don't have to crack them open and make them talk about their feelings. If we are present enough, just like what you just said about being well, feeling well enough ourselves, mm-hmm. feeling stable enough ourselves and, and taking care of ourselves when we worry about our children um, and getting help. If we feel like we need our own help to stabilize mm-hmm. based on our own mental health and our, our own anxiety, which is like, so important as parents to get help when we need it. Um, that presence is so powerful. It's very powerful. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So our kids feel safe with us, right? So they feel yeah. safe to actually talk with us. And I love that. And that's, I think probably, you know, my ultimately, if I think about, okay, as a parent, what do I really hope for my kids? And I I just hope that they'll come to me, right? If whatever they're going through. And so I love that these are all strategies to, to make them feel safe, to make them, you know, feel connected enough to you that even if it takes some time, even if it's just you being present and sitting there that eventually, (laughs) hopefully they'll, you know, they'll open up to you or they'll at least know that you're there and they'll come to you if they need it. So yeah. Yeah. It's a good, good message. (laughs) Oh, I love that. So as we start to to wrap up, do you have anything that you feel like we missed? Any last pieces of wisdom or advice or something that you want to pass on to the parent who might be feeling frustrated with their children's behavior? I know you've given so much um, to us today. Like I, I, I'm so, I'm so excited to share this, but is there anything else you oh. just kind of want to share with that parent? Oh, thanks. Uh, well, um, First of all, I would say just from an intellectual level, um, remember that behaviors are just the tip of the iceberg. So mm-hmm. if you can visualize that iceberg and see that the, what, you're, what you're seeing, those behaviors are, are signals of something deeper. And it's usually something deeper that human connection can solve. So hopefully that'll help you feel less pressure of um, less pressure in do I have to teach my child or discipline my child or, or get a better sticker chart going? You can take that off the table and think, huh? Um, okay. I can, I can do this. I can, I can see this. This doesn't mean I'm doing something wrong. It doesn't mean I'm a bad parent. My child's suffering. They're not me. And I can, I can be present. I can be there. So be gentle on yourself. And especially if you're a mama, because I know we're hard on ourselves as mamas, just be gentle on yourself and know you're, 
you're not alone. You might feel alone. This pandemic has created so much aloneness and we have less ability to anchor with other people. Um, but the way we do that is through self-kindness, self-compassion, and that is very fierce and that is strong. And overall, uh, just plug into that strength that I think we have as parents. And I just wish you well and thank you for, for listening. Oh my gosh. I love this. It's so freeing to hear that it's not about one more sticker chart or finding the next best solution. It's about, it's about connection and, and really, and, and modeling that for our kids. So, oh my goodness, I've loved this so much. So can you just share a little bit more about your book, Brain Body Parenting and how it can, you know, further help the, the parents listening to better connect with their kids and help them with their behavior? Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's available, uh, should be available pretty soon, depending on when we, um, when this releases, but it's, uh, brain body parenting, it's available, um, on Amazon and, um, Barnes and Noble, all sorts of different, uh, independent booksellers. And you can find more information about it on my website, monadelahook.com. Um, and yeah, join me on, um, Facebook and Instagram, Dr. Mona Delahook. And I, I try to share useful tidbits uh, as we, as we all kind of join together to try to support our kids, support ourselves and um, have a meaningful life and build resiliency for our kids and ourselves. Yes. Oh, I love it. So we'll put all of those links in the show notes. Um, I believe your book will have just come out when this airs. So oh, I'll be able to go and get your book and connect with you on social media. I have absolutely loved this conversation. This has been so personally helpful to me. I know that this is going to be so, so helpful to my listeners. I appreciate you taking your time. I know you're still seeing patients. So taking time out of your busy day, I appreciate it so much. Uh, it was a joy. Thank you so much for having me and take good care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. If you loved it, would you take a screenshot and share it with a friend over on Instagram and tag me in it? It helps me so much to know what you love and are taking away from each episode. If you really loved it, would you hop over to iTunes and give me a star rating and review? Every rating and review helps this podcast be seen and heard by more women who need to hear the message of balance and wellness without deprivation. It's the best free gift you could give me. And as a reminder, the information and opinions on this podcast are meant for education and inspiration only and are not to be taken as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult with a trusted practitioner before making any changes. Have a beautiful day, friend, and I'll see you in the next episode.